0: Hello, security token investors, issuers, and enthusiasts. Welcome back to the Security Token Show, episode 31. My name is Kyle Sondland, and I'm joined with my co-host, Hurley Cunnings.
1: Hello, everyone, and hopefully you're tuning back in to this week's episode where we'll be covering exemptions for launching a global STO from the United States. So we're, we're going to be doing a, a real in-depth review but of course, before we do that, we're going to kick things off with our Company of the Week segment, go through our industry news, our STO updates, and get that market activity review. So with that, Kyle, who's your Company of the Week? Well, this week for me, it's a, another institutional
0: bank that's entering the security token space. And this time, we're talking about a German bank established in 1754 out of Munich, Germany. It is Bank... Vander and this small size bank has it's it's relatively small in terms of, of assets under management. We're talking about twenty-five million US dollars. But the firm announced that it will be working this week, it announced that it'll be working with German issuance platform BitBond, who will help them integrate quote tokenization into its established securitization platform. And so a bank representative continued saying, quote, securities can be traded directly without an intermediary, making financing much cheaper and less complicated. And this yet again proves that the best way to break into the institutional space is to clearly demonstrate the efficiencies and cost benefits that tokenization can provide to settlement. Because at the end of the day, for a lot of these banks, it really is all about the bottom line. And so what we saw is that the bank already developed a full custody solution for digital securities that was approved by the German regulators in 2019. and then in early April, bank client or this upcoming April, bank clients will be able to actually purchase the tokenized equities that they custody through a Euroback stablecoin through their platform. So they're going all in on security tokens and and leveraging all this technology. I think it's fantastic. This is an existing bank that's been around for a while, knows how this business works, and can clearly see the benefits in both cost, complication, and market efficiencies of leveraging tokenization for their assets. They've gone ahead and created a custody solution already so that they can host these assets, and they're working with Bitbond, who's the most established player in their jurisdiction, to be able to issue these digital securities for their clients coming in early April. And so for that, I'm psyched, and I want to give them company of the week as great recognition for being progressive and moving forward the space in Germany.
1: Absolutely awesome, Kyle. To see an almost 300-year-old bank out of Germany enter into the foray, partner up with a great company like Bitbond and and start to, again, validate and prove to the world that digital securities are the future is absolutely fantastic. I mean, especially to see, as you mentioned, a smaller bank. Most banks in general don't tend to be very innovative or grasp onto the latest trends. It, it certainly seems like in this case, this bank knows exactly exactly where where they're headed, uh, focusing on growing uh, on this new trend. So really, really cool stuff.
0: I also forgot to mention it will be on the Stellar blockchain. That's where they'll be tokenizing. It looks like that's what Bitbond has selected as their provider. And so that will be something to watch moving forward as we've seen Ethereum and Tezos be some of the leaders here in the United States. And so Stellar has really grabbed a great foothold in Europe and we'll look forward to giving you updates there. But Herwig... What company is, is is got your eye this week?
1: Stellar, definitely worth keeping an eye on. Very interesting, Kyle. Me, I'm excited, as you know, to, you know, I'm a big fanboy of Figure and Providence, the, the blockchain-based lender. They've originated more than a quarter billion loans tied to home equity over the last two and a half years. But this week, I'm giving my award to another blockchain-based lender. This one's called BlockFi. So the reason is specifically due to the fact that they just in on a $30 million fresh funding round to help them scale their business, specifically with an effort to focus on institutional lending operations, retail brokerage, and a new Bitcoin Rewards credit card. The company first came onto the scene when it offered lending options backed by cryptocurrency instead of homes like with FIGURE, and the company ended up raising roughly $18 million in capital in August last year, and of course followed by the $30 million round last week. The CEO, Zach Prince, said that he sees BlockFi to be associated less and less with crypto lending category, and more and more to be identified as a diversified financial services entity. And that's why I'm looking forward to seeing them grow their lending operations and maybe even potentially foray into other securities-based financial services. So with that, BlockFi, you've won my company of the week. That's fantastic. They've
0: raised a lot of money. I think that I had read they had, yeah, you'd mentioned that they had raised 18 already and then 30 more now. So $50 million to help them compete in the space in the last six or nine months. So it's fantastic. It'll be exciting to see how they can really really start to bolster this, this lending space that really seems to be catching on like wildfire, and, and I guess still to this point has raised the most money out of any of these use cases that we've seen so far.
1: Absolutely. It's truly incredible to see the space continue to heat up. We hope to see more and more cases like this, but meanwhile, all eyes are for sure on BlockFi and figure to prove out the securities-based lending side for digital securities here. Next up, we're gonna move into our industry news segment where we cover last week's relevant announcements and press for the security token industry. And we're going to start things off in Russia, where in late December, the Russian central bank actually had announced that it would be testing out its state-backed cryptocurrency within a regulatory sandbox. I think we even covered it at the time. And now it appears that the tests are over and completed. Ivan Bank, no irony on the last name there, the director of financial technologies for the russian central bank said the following this was one of the largest sandbox projects we studied in detail the new business model and its relevance to market needs an important detail of the service is the use of hybrid tokens which make it easy to adapt to the needs of business and consumers and provide flexible solutions to attract investment Based on the results of the piloting, the Bank of Russia proposed to include in the draft federal law on digital financial assets, the provisions necessary for the introduction and development of such decisions in the emerging digital assets market, which are which were supported by government agencies and businesses. So AKA, in sum, what Ivan Bank is saying there is Russia is gonna be gung-ho on digital assets and securities. They have a draft bill already in the works and once this bill is passed, the country will be ready to support its own digital securities infrastructure. Fantastic. We also saw some news out of Canada, Kyle, where two firms, 3iQ and MavenNet, have teamed up to develop a stablecoin pegged to, of course, the Canadian dollar. Nice. So together, they formed a joint venture called Canada Stable Corp, which, which will be supported at least so far in five different exchanges for purchase. And it is the first known Canadian dollar pegged to a stablecoin, so it should probably prove useful for the Canadian economy, Canadian businesses, as well as global currency baskets and other asset portfolios. So great to see financial innovation coming out of Canada regarding Mm stablecoins. And speaking of stablecoins, we're going to talk a little bit now about Circle, which the block has caught word that they are looking to sell off their last remaining business unit other than of course their stable coins business i'm referring to seed invest but before we jump into that a little synopsis for anyone not fami- too familiar with the company listening here is circle was first recognized really as one of the largest players in the crypto space they boasted one of the largest over the counter crypto desks seeing over 24 billion in crypto trades in 2018 Since its inception in 2013 through the middle of 2018, the firm had raised over a quarter billion dollars to grow and capitalize on their massive consumer and institutional adoption. But despite Circle's success, many have seen the company as losing its way, if you will, alongside the crypto bubble when it first started by acquiring crypto exchange Poloniex for a whopping $400 million during the height of the craze, if you will. The firm also acquired crowdfunding company Seed Invest for an undisclosed amount around the same time later on. And since those acquisitions, the company has been seen as downsizing in 2019, first by spinning out Poloniex as a separate firm. Then they sold their crypto trading desk for what was called a fire sale price of only a million dollars. And finally, they also sold their retail brokerage app, Circle Invest, to Voyager, which is a publicly listed Canadian broker, for an all-stock deal that, based on their market cap, was roughly worth a little bit more than what they sold the OTC desk for. So that leaves them with Seed Invest and their stablecoin business. And of course, according to the block here, it's looking to sell Seed Invest, but apparently it's having trouble due to issues with the acquisition structure. Not much more is revealed other than the fact that Circle is now completely focused on evolving their stablecoin business to serve different businesses, consumers, and developers, to and, you know, bring in the digital future for stablecoins. We'll see if this move pays off as stablecoins continue to grow in popularity and demand, and of course with it, plenty of competition from veteran Wall Street banks and well-funded crypto upstarts like Gemini and Consensus. So. Definitely very, very interesting. Kyle, any thoughts about your, your synopsis of Circle here?
0: This is definitely just a little bit of a head-scratcher because they very recently acquired Seed Invest. And so the, the Poloniex deal had, had already happened, I believe, and they, they clearly had an idea for what they wanted to do. This Again, I, I don't know the Circle team uh, directly, and, and I don't want to put words in their mouth, but it does seem like a very head-scratching move now to be trying to spin this thing off with all of the issues potentially coming from the acquisition to begin with, that you'd think that they had the idea that they were going to be spinning this off already from the acquisition, maybe thinking that they could flip it for hire or something like that or roll it up with their other businesses. Clearly, there was some miscommunication somewhere, and it's going to be very interesting. I think that that the Circle Stablecoin has still been very successful, so that part of their business is not necessarily underwater at this time but it is a very competitive space right now because there's a lot of development not only from from Gemini or Tether but we've seen you know rumors that Libra may be focusing solely on a USD backed coin and I'm sure that the investment banks are also looking at their own internal stable coins as well so uh, it's a tough space to work in, so hopefully that they can, they can figure this out, but it's, it's definitely a little bit of a mess right now. A fascinating journey,
1: nonetheless, that we will continue to cover. Absolutely. Moving on, we have got some news from the UK-based global issuance platform SmartLands, saying that they'll be utilizing the Liechtenstein jurisdiction as the framework to issue securities to investors. The CEO specifically said that they are excited about the possibilities of the Liechtenstein Blockchain Act. Which presents to investors and issuers in regards to direct tokenization of any asset using blockchain tokens as containers for any assets. I forget which episode, but we did cover in, in depth a little bit about the Blockchain Act there. And, and I do recall that they essentially allowed you to subcategorize everything into different baskets uh, and therefore made it easier to sort of uh, issue both utility, virtual assets, and securities based tokens. The uh, CEO goes, arm to, goes on to say that, armed with cutting edge legislation for investment funds, the Liechtenstein jurisdiction is ideal for structuring basically any financial product on blockchain there may be. SmartLands itself plans to tokenize the first investment fund with 50 million in assets during the first two quarters of 2020. So we'll be on the lookout for more information about that STO when it comes. Next up, we have an announcement from the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange. That they have partnered up with Blockchain Technology Partners to put the finishing touches on its Distributed Ledger Technology Securities Lending Project ahead of the platform's launch later this year. The project, known as the Blockchain Securities Lending Platform, aims to address the fragmented, inefficient, and opaque nature of the securities lending market in Israel. The BSL will provide a distributed service available to all Israeli market participants in order to increase market volumes and make securities lending available for more players. The DLT platform is being built in collaboration with Accenture, Intel, and Global FinTech Innovation Center, The Floor, and is using the Hyperledger Sawtooth Enterprise blockchain to come to market. This platform has been under development since 2017 and as I mentioned is expected to go live later this year and I'm, I'm eager to, to see it when it's alive and, and come to fruition.
0: You and me both. Israel is, is a fantastic tech hub and they've built a lot of tremendous tech applications and I know that they're very active in the blockchain space as well. So once they start to get some of their projects live, expect for them to be some serious players in the global scene.
1: And once again, a focus on securities-based lending here being proven as a use case for for security tokens as a a popular one, no doubt. In other industry news, we saw Spice VC, the the first tokenized VC fund, join the two-prime partner network where they will be allocated between a quarter million to $5 million to invest on their behalf. To fill rounds, and get exposed to the deal flow that Spice VC sees. The two prime model is designed so that all investments from their partner network are owned by an entity that is tokenized into the FF1 token, which is you know, exposed to a wide range of blockchain companies and cryptocurrency projects as a result in order to cater to the potential risk of the space as well as make it easier to get access to a wide variety of projects. Presumably, this means that SpiceVC has even more firepower to work with and deploy to great security token companies. We'll see if there's any more news regarding that uh, actual final figure. And then we did also, Kyle, see a very interesting blog post come out from TokenSoft last week doing an interesting analysis regarding security token efficiency. Hmm. Since security tokens have been issued across multiple blockchains now, the blog posts examine the cost of native transfer and smart contract-based transfer costs of security tokens. You see the cost to transact on a blockchain network is of course directly related to supply and demand. The more people who are competing to transact on a fixed supply of bandwidth for transactions, the higher the price one needs to pay in order to get to the front of the line and have your transaction go through. Since each blockchain also has different capabilities and has chosen different trade-offs for security versus throughput, their costs to transact can vary widely. And in this case, the team at TokenSoft identified Stellar actually as the cheapest blockchain to leverage due to the native asset transfer capabilities, as opposed to some of the other models like Tezos and Ethereum, which rely on smart contract-based solutions. Of course, TokenSoft itself has been developing and a big leader on, on Ethereum, and so comparing some of the several protocols on Ethereum, TokenSoft's 1404 standard, Polymath's ST20 standard, and of course the Securitize's DS protocol, they found that the cost varied dramatically when it came to paying for gas usage on Ethereum. This is due to the various functions of the smart contracts and how they are structured, so it's hard to broadly read into, but it may spell issues in the future for scalability that most security token issuers, I think, are definitely not thinking about. Hmm. To understand more about this, we highly recommend you listen to episode 29, which covers purpose built security token blockchains, and try which those types of native blockchains do try to tackle some of these challenges that are presented. Definitely study this article in more detail if you're curious about how some of these protocols and blockchains stack up against each other.
0: This is definitely a high-quality article for anyone working in the space or whether you're leveraging an issuance platform or potentially are working with an issuance platform. Definitely take a look at this article and start to get familiar with, with really the differences in what these blockchains do because that's, that's going to be a very crucial piece moving forward uh, for any of these, these issuance platforms
1: leveraging blockchain technology. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more, Kyle. And finally, we also have a, an interview by Antoine Tardy of Securities.io, this time with the co-founder and managing partner of Fifth Era, and as well as Kairetsu Capital in Europe, Matthew LaMerle. Matthew is a seasoned investor, and he's also the author of The Blockchain Competitive Advantage. The interview is full of interesting, interesting insights in both the European venture market, as well as how Matthew sees blockchain evolving humanity into the Fifth Era. So very, very cool, worth checking out that interview as well. Maybe he may want you to go ahead and, and uh, make you want to read his book. And last but not least, of course, in our events section, we haven't come across anything new other than Security Token Realized San Francisco event on May 28th. As always, you can learn more about any of the news topics or anything we discuss on the podcast by clicking on the related link in the description section of wherever you are listening from. And that's it. That's all I have for the news on this week's episode. So with that, Kyle, please tell us about the latest STOs.
0: Let's talk about some STOs. So I think you, you nailed it on the head, but if you're listening, check out stomarket.com slash news. You're going to be able to find all of the news articles we mentioned, as well as, as Tori mentioned, in the description of anywhere you're listening, every link to everything we talk about. Check it out on your own. But moving into the STOs, we have a couple updates. That's about it this week. So the first one is from a a, uh, security token I mentioned on last week's episode. This is Flight. Um, Flight Property Investment, FLYT. And so they're based out of South Africa. And as I mentioned, they are a real estate hospitality fund. And they're, they're launching a tokenized product behind this fund. And so the team released more information on their offering in the form of a five page kind of disclosure document there's a few points in that that I would like to share. The first one being that the token is going to be issued via the T-Rex protocol from European issuance platform Tokeny, and it will be built on the Ethereum blockchain. The document also specifically states that they have the ability to burn and remint tokens in the case of stolen assets, which is something that we've talked about before. One of the main benefits of security tokens over some of these more traditional blockchain tokens is that with a security token, you can very easily mint and reissue tokens when there's, there's issues. And, and so they do mention that specifically in the document. They, they also say that the fund is working with Bakari for advisory services that, to launch this tokenized product. And finally, the disclosure does focus heavily on compliance, which is, is expected, but it doesn't actually say specifically which investor types will be able to participate at this time. So I'm not sure if U.S. investors will be able to participate um, versus international. Again, it's based out of South Africa. So I'd imagine that that European or African investors will be able to to participate, especially by leveraging Tokeny's investment platform. So um, Yes, yeah, it's exciting. We're, we're very excited to see what they can do moving forward. And I will get you more information as they begin their fundraising process and, and once that closes. So, on top of that, we also have Overstock. And if you remember, Overstock is a public company. They're the parent company that owns T Zero, as well as Medici Ventures, which is their venture arm that invests in blo- the blockchain space. And so Overstock.com had, had gotten into you know, some positive press and then some hot water from the SEC because they had announced their idea for a digital dividend, in which case stockholders in the public company on NASDAQ, the OSTK uh, public shares, for every 10 shares of the Overstock public company that you owned, you were entitled to, a, to one share of Overstock dividend, which you had the option to receive as a token form or as the, the public stock. And so they had announced that they were going to be launching this digital dividend, if you will, and immediately the SEC went in on them to investigate and make sure that this is properly compliant, in which case they, it was approved, and it was up to the shareholder vote of all public shareholders to vote in, in, in favor or in denial of this dividend. And it's great that they've announced today that the, the vote has been conducted and the dividend has been approved on a 1 to 10 basis. So, again, right. that, that means that for 10 shares of public company stock that you own, you're entitled to one share of, of either traditional or, if you'd like, a digital dividend of that same stock, the OSTK stock under the symbol OSTKO on the T0ATS. Um, And so the record date to qualify for the dividend is February 24th, and the expected distribution is March 9th. So at that time, we'll have the live pricing on STOMarket.com as well as in the market report section of this podcast. We'll be be talking about how that performs. And Herwig, I'm really interested to see how this token performs in comparison to the public shares on NASDAQ. You know, will it trade at a premium because it's it's a security token and people are excited about the security token? Maybe it's at a discount because maybe people are less excited about a security token versus the public share version. Only time it will tell, but it's gonna be very fun to track and, and be able to see how that performs versus the public markets.
1: I know I'd certainly like to hear that update, Kyle. It'd be even interesting to see if there's a run up ahead of February twenty fourth in terms of demand for the, the overstock uh, stock publicly listed uh price stock share so you know i'd be interested you know just to have an update on that when that happens but of course uh, this is you know all new territory so you know an- a- anyone can see what happens you know any- anything's up in the air here
0: exactly so as i said the record date to qualify for the dividend is february 24th so if you'd like to have exposure to this ostko <laughs> dividend at that time buy at least 10 shares by February 24th. So that's I think about a week from when this podcast comes out or so. And then the distribution is expected around March 9th. So um, very, very exciting. there. happy to see that things are moving forward with them and for them, uh, despite some of their early stumbles uh, in 2019. And then finally, as I mentioned, there weren't, weren't any new STOs I could find this week. We've certainly covered many over the last couple of months, but We do have a couple of of market reports that I think are interesting to note. The first one being from Jonah Shulman, who is the head of marketing at Security Token Market and uh, he released his own market observations based off of of the security token performances on the secondary markets in January and detailed his thoughts on the industry as well on on a few of the offerings and and where we're headed moving forward. And so it's well written and thoughtful analysis on on the secondary markets and I can't wait to continue reading his thoughts each month. So definitely go read that, check him out and let him know what you think about, about what he's writing. And then finally, we also have a case study on 22x fund. So we had mentioned 22x fund as as a security token offering. It's one that I had detailed in my market report as well. But STO Box gives an even more detailed breakdown of just this specific security token via their medium channel. And so the main conclusion of that is that it's not actually clear how much money the the fund has raised in total, which is a conclusion I made as well, uh, which does bring some question marks to the offering. But the the reputation behind the issuer means that they've still been been relatively successful so far in distributing their their capital and deploying it. So. Um, it's very interesting. It gives a lot of background on what 22X is and, and where it's based out of and, and a lot of those different pieces. So if you're interested in, in reading more into a live security token and what, um, what its underlying asset is and a lot of that, that background, definitely go check out the case study on 22X.
1: It's great to see more and more market reports coming out. Thank you, Jonah. Thank you, STO Box, for you know this this information out there for investors and enthusiasts to read. I hope this inspires many others to do the same thing. And you know, I hope I know if Jonah's gonna continue to do this. I hope we continue to see more and more reports like this come out come out to market.
0: It, absolutely agree. Information is key and transparency is <laughs> crucial for investors to participate um, in these industries and, and you know, without this this the disclosures, without the investor relations, as you mentioned, it I just it's it's gonna be very difficult for investors to feel confident in entering into this space if they're not familiar with the security token industry and, and so it's fantastic. I, I'm I'm very, very psyched to see those and hopefully we'll see more moving forward. Finally, we've got our market update summary. It was actually a relatively quiet week for security tokens. There was strong volume, but not much price change between the tokens, which is, you know, maybe some nice welcomed stability in the space that there's people buying and selling and there's maybe some equalized buy and sell pressure. Um, the, the market cap was around $62 million this week, which is not much of a change from 66 last week, um, a couple points down because T0 is down a couple cents. But it's sitting at around $1.75 this week, which really hasn't seen much drastic change. Yet it is still averaging over $10,000 in volume per day, which is over its average from 2019. So it's, it's definitely seeing increased volume and a, a stronger price than what we've seen before, and, and we'll have to see how the token performs, as you mentioned, not only with overstock, but how T0 performs as we get closer and closer to, to overstock digital dividend launching and potentially, as they mentioned in their investor report a few weeks ago, if they can get a third asset as well live on their exchange, that might be very, very interesting as this token continues to heat up.
1: Absolutely. And for those of any any of you listening that have gotten lost at all between overstock, Medici, T Zero, the dividends, we do a great synopsis of of how they all intertwine together in episode 9 of the show where we we cover an in-depth review of Overstock, Medici, and T-Zero. So, again, anyone confused there, highly recommend you go check that episode out. That'll definitely fill you into everything that's going on here.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. On top of that, the rest of the market was pretty quiet. Everyone else held held their prices relatively and, uh, didn't see a ton of volume. So aside from that, we're, we're, we're pretty much through with the market report. If you'd like to see any pricing data for the live security tokens, check out stomarket.com. We've got, we've got a full uh, table there with all the prices and changes as well as market caps and volumes and and all that other good stuff. So definitely go check that out. But without further ado, I'd love to, to transition into our main topic this week, which as we mentioned is Regarding exemptions for launching a a global security token offering out of the United States And so to date the U.S. has been the leading jurisdiction to issue security tokens and this isn't to anyone's surprise Because the U.S. has always been a leader in the capital markets by touting the largest most efficient and strictest financial markets in the world But when we look at traditional private and crowdfunding markets inside of the United States, they are primarily focused on targeting U.S. investors exclusively, and issuers mostly used Reg D to target accredited investors and institutions, or more recently, the Reg A+, or CF, exemptions, which enable access to all retail non-accredited U.S. investors. And so, one of the benefits of issuing a security token over the traditional methods, is the fact that as an issuer, you can now reach this global audience and investor base. We talk about global interoperability. We talk about global access to assets. These things are crucial, but however, those exemptions that we've mentioned already don't actually allow for onboarding of these non-U.S. investors. And so because it's much more efficient and cost-effective to also include international investors, issuers actually need to leverage an additional exemption for this new audience. And so this exemption I'm referencing is known as Reg S. And so the expected standard for a global security token offering is most likely going to consist of a combination of both the Reg D as well as the Reg S in two separate filings. And so keep in mind, as we go into detail here, we're not attorneys, and this is not meant to be any sort of legal advice or counsel, but basically what this means for an issuer is that you need to separate your investors based off of which jurisdiction they're participating from. International, non-U.S. investors cannot invest through a Reg D exemption, and U.S. investors cannot invest through a Reg S. So you need to be very careful, non-US needs to be Reg S and, and US investors need to participate through, through one of the other exemptions that we've mentioned before. So Hurley, what does this imply for security tokens and what we're looking at moving forward?
1: I think you just did a great outline of you know the different exemptions that you can leverage and the different factors between the two and from a legal perspective, you're kosher, but from a technical perspective, you now need to translate that, right? So it actually means that if you're gonna be leveraging both exemptions, you will be issuing two sets of tokens. They will be identical in rights and protections, but distinguished by its ownership conditions. And furthermore, the two different exemptions, Kyle, they actually have different lockup periods too. Again, mm-hmm. I am not an attorney, nor is Kyle. If you're exploring an STO, we highly recommend you, you absolutely should be speaking with an attorney. But they, they actually have different rules as well. So that means the smart contracts representing the two tokens need to account for identity, the country of reven- residence, and also, of course, for when the tokens are actually transferable. Reg D requires a 12 month lockup period, and Reg S requires only a six month. So there's a six month difference right there alone that you need to manage two different groups of investors. Standardizing the lockup period for both exemptions was one of the main uh, suggestions that we included in feedback to the SEC, but there has been no illumination on that, and we should have no expectation of that changing. So, how marketplaces and exchanges treat the two and how they manage that will be very interesting. And it's for these exact reasons that these exchanges and marketplaces need to do heavy due diligence on smart contracts and protocols that power these security tokens because they are responsible as facilitators for ensuring the compliance is followed post issuance. Now we can get even a little bit more advanced by expanding our audience further. In our original example, we just used a Reg D and a Reg S as a combination. So for those of you listening closely, that means we can raise capital from international investors and from US investors that are considered accredited. This means they're roughly representing the top 10% of wealthiest Americans either from an income or net uh, asset perspective. And so if you want your SEO to be accessible by international investors, accredited investors, and non-accredited investors, aka retail investors, or everybody in the U.S., then you'll also need to file either a Reg A or a Reg CF exemption, enabling you to access those uh, audiences. Now, of course, Reg A and Reg CF have their own parameters and requirements that you need to follow through. But as I understand it, you can file all of these simultaneously. So you may find yourself doing a Reg CF, a Reg D, and a Reg S exemption all at once for your STO. So the more you can cover, you know, now you can cover pretty much the entire world in just three exemptions. And issue an STO from within the U.S., which is pretty spectacular. Before security tokens, even with crowdfunding, going through this process was extremely complicated. The only time where I guess was typically used was to include a specific party that happened to be an international investor, either for tax purposes or they had a predisposed relationship with those individuals. It was not common for a private company to go and raise internationally. Now, thanks to the security token, it is. So, Kyle, I do want to, I wonder how many of our savvy listeners here are willing to go a step further. Another step. That's right. I'm talking about the international side now. Surely we now have granted coverage in the U.S. We're following all the SEC guidelines. We've mm-hmm. issued the different exemptions. We've covered everybody. But what about the rest of the world's securities laws? Well, in fact. Those savvy listeners are right if they assumed that many of the other jurisdictions around the world also have their own rules that need to be followed, many times similar to the U.S. in respect to the accredited investors or sometimes referred to as sophisticated investors' laws. So in principle, if you want to truly be 100% compliant, you also need to make sure the international investors you accept also respect their native country's securities laws. Now, many issuance platforms are accounting for this. In fact, many of them are using a company that I founded, full disclosure, InvestReady, which also uh, covers uh, uh, verifications in the US as well as globally. And this is, of course, all in an effort to make sure that the issuer can efficiently go to market and enable access to the, to the world. So, in principle, yes, technology and security tokens make it easier to reach everybody. But you also have to keep in mind, each jurisdiction you support, the more laws you need to be aware of and potential regulations that need to be complied with. Hmm. Wow. So we're talking about
0: potentially three or more different exemptions that you're going to be leveraging or you may need to leverage if you're a security token issuer. That alone is, I think, reason enough that you definitely need to find the legal advice that fits all of the requirements that you need to help track all of these different pieces that you're going to be leveraging through this process. Additionally, some of the experienced issuance platforms that are in the space already have leveraged dozens of clients and are able to, to manage what this process looks like. This is nothing necessarily new for them. So it's important to vet all of the different technological providers, potentially even finding a consulting firm that can help you navigate that space as well to find the right pieces to work with is going to be crucial, but I think it's a great breakdown that you've, you've made there, Herwig, in terms of distinguishing between the, the different regulations. And you cannot forget the fact that you need to make sure that your investors are accredited if you're, if you're doing traditional fundraising rounds. You've got to do the KYC. All those things that we saw were neglected in the 2017-2018 scene from the crypto space, a lot of these people were not properly identifying their investors, were not properly accrediting their investors, and have to pay hefty fines and and deal with a lot of those regulatory smackdowns. So definitely make sure you're getting this stuff straight because it is complicated. But when you boil it down like that, it does seem pretty straightforward in terms of leveraging specific exemptions for what investors you need.
1: Absolutely. I hope this episode has been eye-opening for our listeners in a sense of connecting the two between the legal and the regulation versus the technical and the the functionality of security tokens. Hopefully, we we have a better understanding now what, what the role of issuance platforms play. It's not their job to be the attorney and tell you which regulations to use. It's their job to make sure the technology can support the compliance and regulations for which exemptions you're looking to leverage. Mm -hmm. And because security tokens are a global phenomenon, it is most issuance's prerogative to go ahead and make sure they can support globally all the various exemptions. So again, any feedback, questions, comments people have for the show or they wanna see, let us know, we're active on Twitter, on LinkedIn. We'd love to get your, your input. And with that, Kyle, I believe that's the end of our show. Yeah, I want to give a couple shout-outs to uh, to
0: some of our, our users that have made participated on stoMarket.com/news. Um, Shout-out to a lot of you guys who are submitting your own articles that you'd like us to cover. You can register for an account and then begin to submit articles for different companies or for different press updates that you'd like us to cover. In each podcast episode. So if, you, if you're listening, if you'd like to participate, if you'd like us to cover something, definitely shoot that a link, shoot it over there, submit the article and, and we'll definitely comb through it and, and try to do our best to cover it in the episode. So thank you everyone for listening. This is episode 31 and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Hopefully
1: catch you next week.